Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Jim, I think June is shaping up to be a fairly decent month. This is at least the second time we've had all good martinis, and I think we've even had a couple other days where we've had two good martinis. So inflation is a problem when it comes to our economy. I hope it's not going to be a problem with good martinis because uh, then they could get more and more expensive. But we'll take more we can get them. Yeah, and there's, I, there's a nice theme going through all of them today, Greg. It's all folks who are not part of the vast right-wing conspiracy. It's all part of the folks who probably would not be characterized as conservative in most situations, all looking at the left flank of the Democratic Party and saying, uh-uh, no. <laughs> That's right. Let's start at the Supreme Court. Uh, this decision actually came down on Monday, and it's a unanimous decision. Uh, hot air, Ed Morrissey puts it this way, a surprise ruling, especially considering the 9 to nothing vote and the author of the opinion. Justice Elena Kagan took the lead in denying a Salvadoran couple access to green cards after having entered the U.S. illegally. The existing law is valid and constitutional, the court ruled, even when illegal immigrants are later granted temporary protected status. Justice Kagan writing for the court that federal immigration law prohibits people who entered the country illegally and now have temporary protected status from seeking green cards to remain in the country permanently. That designation applies to people who come from countries ravaged by war or disaster. It protects them from deportation and allows them to work legally. There are 400,000 people from 12 countries with TPS status. The outcome in a case involving a couple from El Salvador who have been in the U.S. since the early 90s turned on whether people who entered the country illegally and were given humanitarian protections were ever admitted, quote unquote, into the United States under immigration law. Kagan wrote they are not and were not. The TPS program, she says, gives foreign nationals non-immigrant status, but it does not admit them. So the conferral of temporary protected status does not make an unlawful entrant eligible for a green card. And the uh, the larger explanation is, if you want this to change, it's got to happen legislatively. We're not going to do it for you. So, Jim, uh, it's always good to have the right decision made. To have it unanimous, which means it's pretty hard to politicize from the other side, is also good news. Greg, my first thought upon reading this decision and seeing the coverage of it was that I hope that in the course of attempting to ascertain the facts and become fully familiar with this issue, that the nine justices at some point received a TPS report. <laughs> and that in the process, the correct cover sheet was used on the facts of that TPS report. <laughs> Putting aside uh, the office space of the justices, uh, look, this the, the question for the court is, should we have immigration laws? <laughs> or should we start popping out green cards like, you know, they're coming out of a Pez dispenser to anybody who comes across the border and says, hey, can I have a green card? That that basically is what the criteria would be under this lawsuit. It's, it's not quite a frivolous lawsuit. I think it's kind of a ridiculous one. The fact that it got rejected 9 nothing is reassuring because oftentimes when, we, when the, the conservatives win at the Supreme Court, It'll be a 5-4 decision, although they've had a few more going their way, 6-3, 7-2, that kind. But it's kind of like, wait, what are you kidding me? This should be, this is obvious. This is self-evident. This is completely consistent with the U.S. Constitution. This should be 9 nothing. Well, for once, we got it 9 nothing. And I think, you know, in past editions of this podcast, Greg, we've talked about how, like, the, the, the kind of, even though the Democratic Party will very rarely come out and say, we should not have immigration laws that if you want to be an American, all you should have to do is show up. That if you cross this border, we want to give you a path to citizenship. 
In some cases, they, you know, in some cases, they, they're not going to care about the fact that you've worked in this country and you haven't paid any taxes. You were getting paid under the table. In at one point, there was a proposal back in the Bush years that if you came in the country illegally, you're going to have to pay taxes on three of your last five years of income. Greg, would you like that deal? I will take that deal. The other two years are free. Two last year, we're not going to worry about that. You know, um, there's this attitude in the Democratic Party that are the very fact that we have immigration laws that we restrict who can come into this country and you have to jump through hoops, you have to go through background checks, you have to pass the citizenship test, all these different steps. And it is a complicated process and it does have a lot of bureaucracy and I can understand why it's very frustrating, but we need something a little more important than just like, hey, you know, you show up and boom, you're here, congratulations, you're an American. And it was good to see the Supreme Court unanimously say, no, you can't, this is not nonsense. You don't get a green card just for showing up. Um, you have to go through the proper process. Even if you later go through it, it does not mean that we were the government was in the wrong for denying you it before you had completed the process. So rare time we can say, Greg, good job, Supreme Court, all of you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Because there, I'm sure there's going to be a few cases as this month rolls on that we're not going to be able to say that. Uh, and we're not even going to like some decisions, potentially. Although nowadays we probably will like most of them. But uh, We'll see how they roll out. You never quite know from the Supreme Court. But uh, no, this is this is excellent news. Like you said, it should be a no-brainer. And that the court saw it that way uh, is always good news. So uh, let's talk about some even more good news. And that is the fact that grilling season is upon us. Summertime is upon us. Father's Day is upon us. And there's no better way to celebrate dads. There's no better way to celebrate graduations and birthdays and 4th of July uh, than grilling. Omaha Steaks and the variety of uh, meats that they have available. It's not just steaks, although the steaks are really, really good. Uh, We are working our way through all the products from uh, Omaha Steaks, and let me say, it is a delicious journey. Uh, We had the steaks on Memorial Day, very flavorful. Our whole family absolutely loved them. I talked about the potato wedges. Uh, Omaha Steakhouse Fries is what they call them. Uh, Also loved the burgers. Uh, The burgers were very good portions, also good flavor, and uh, plenty juicy. So uh, Omaha Steaks, every time I've had an Omaha Steak product, it's been excellent, and I really can't recommend them highly enough. Go to omahasteaks.com, type in martini in the search bar, and you can order, Dad, the Get Out and Grill Assortment. Now, right now, this package is 59% off and includes 20 entrees. He will He is guaranteed to love. We're talking ultra-juicy burgers, plump chicken breasts, sides, desserts, and four 10-ounce Butcher's Cut New York strips. These strips are aged for 30 days, and that's important because age equals tenderness. Plus, you will get four free New York strip burgers with your order. That's selling out fast, so you don't want to wait. Don't miss out. And you don't have to miss out, and we can get you a good deal. Omaha Steaks, not just steak, it's the best steak of your life. Visit omahasteaks.com, keyword martini, and get Dad the Get Out and Grill assortment, or anybody who you think is going to love this, or yourself, plus four free New York strip burgers and 59% off today. Send your dad or your other loved one more than just a gift. Send him an experience he'll love and can share with you. All right, Jim, double-fisted second good martini here. Uh, Kamala Harris is finally on the road, supposedly dealing with the border crisis. Not at the border, of course, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, But she was down in Guatemala, meeting with the uh, president of Guatemala. 
And there is some frankness going on in these discussions. Usually world leaders, you know, oh, they try to put on the, the sunny, happy, unified face at these things. But the Guatemalan president told CBS News uh, in an interview that aired on Sunday that the Biden administration is to blame for sparking the migration crisis. The Guatemalan president said he and Harris are, quote, not on the same side of the coin on migration. Quote, we asked the United States government to send more of a clear message to prevent people from leaving. When Biden took office, the message changed, too. He said, we're going to reunite families. We're going to reunite children. The very next day, the coyotes were here organizing groups of children to take to the United States. And so honesty from the president of Guatemala is definitely good. Kamala Harris in her speech in Guatemala uh, yesterday also saying the right things. You and I could probably debate about how much she means them or whether she could have said something like this repeatedly months ago. But she did say the right thing to people who uh, think they can just pack up and head to the border. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. But we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. But, Jim, it is Kamala Harris, so we can't have a clean, good martini here. She was also interviewed by Lester Holt on NBC News, who said, hey, you've come here. Uh, you're going to head to the border anytime soon? And we got this nonsense. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, at some point, you know, I... We are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't I don't understand the point that you're making. Haven't been to the moon either, Jim. Uh, her efforts to distract and dodge that question, pretty pathetic. But uh, we'll scrape any good news out of a Kamala Harris story we can get. And we actually got two pretty significant pieces. Yeah, so the first thing is, is that welcome to the vast right-wing conspiracy Guatemalan president. Um, <laughs> look, you know, I, that, that really is a, I, I, I've talked a bit about that interview in the, the morning Joel today. That's a, that's a fairly significant declaration. This was, the, the thing is that there wasn't a lot of, you know, allusions or vague implications. It was pretty clear saying, no, no, this is, this is because of the uh, administration's policy and that that's why you saw this sudden wave of people and one of the things that's deeply frustrating uh, about talking about this issue is the number of people who basically just, just have blinders on. They absolutely refuse to see what's going on. And here you have, you know, Alejandro Giametti uh, saying, no, this is this is why it happened. Right. He has no incentive to say, yes, the Biden administration screwed up. He's not. Uh, this is not him attempting, I guess you could say it's an attempt for him to def you know, defer blame or something. But right before you're about to meet with the vice president, you, the only reason he'd be saying that is if he genuinely believes that's the case and he's down there in Guatemala, he should be able, it's reasonable to assume he'd have some good idea of why people are attempting to head north. Um, I would just point out, I mean, Greg, earlier today, I kept hearing, you know, I, I posted up something on Twitter and somebody says, this is just part of the usual standard pattern, seasonal pattern. I'm like, no, it's not. This isn't even close to that. And so I went and you know, ran the numbers. Um, in just the last, we're, we're still waiting on the numbers for May. No, by the way, it's June 8th. Taken a while to get these numbers together, but just for you know for March and April we had three hundred fifty one thousand nine hundred seventy. Right, 
Um, one of my followers on Twitter calculated and said, look, if, you, if you're at that pace for a whole year, you're talking about 1.9 million, which would be by far the most they've ever had. Now, here's the thing. You're not going to get that. It's going to slow down in summer, but that's just because of the heat, not because of uh, any changed enforcement or something like that. So is it good that Kamala Harris is going to the border and is going down to Guatemala and saying, don't come, we will enforce our laws? Yeah, it is good. I definitely prefer her saying that to saying uh, a, an undocumented immigrant is not a criminal, which is what she was saying back in 2017. Yes, they are, Madam Vice President. That, that you, know, you don't get to just you know decide, I don't like that law, therefore I'm going to ignore it. That's not how it works in this country. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to repeal all immigration enforcement, you have to fat, in, enforce legislation to do so. And Biden and she herself have said many times they don't intend to do that. So you have to enforce the immigration laws, whether or not you agree with all of them. Um, somebody else earlier today tweeted out a to demonstrate that there was no crisis going on. Greg, they tweeted out a chart that ends at 2020. <laughs> See, doesn't that prove that there's no crisis in 2021? Finally, you know, I, I, I we're still waiting for the numbers for this month. Axios must have some glimpse ahead or something. That's based on preliminary Customs and Border Protection data. The number of migrants illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexico border this fiscal year is already the most since 2006, and we have four months left to go in the fiscal year. Wow, that really is uh, amazing. But uh, the fact that these two don't agree, it takes me back to the Kamala Harris-Mike Pence debate. And uh, anytime Pence interjected, and I think she probably did this in the primary debates too, she would just kind of give you that that glare and say, I'm sorry, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking, I'm speaking. So when they're disagreeing about immigration and who's to blame for the crisis at the border, do you think she's down there saying, Mr. President, I'm speaking, or um, Senor Presidente, estoy hablando, estoy hablando. I'm going to test drive a theory that I will elaborate on. I'm supposed to tape the editor's podcast. Easily the second best podcast out there um, <laughs> later today. And here's a, I'm not the first person to offer thoughts kind of along these lines. The idea that Biden is really kind of uh, leaving uh, Kamala Harris out on a branch here, right? Because the immigration, you know, oh, take care of the border, Kamala. Like that's probably like one of the <laughs> toughest jobs you could have in this administration. And it involves having to square a circle of having to say, yeah, we got to enforce immigration laws. We might even need a fence. We, you know, we, <laughs> we have to beef this up. And oh, by the way, and telling migrants coming here, you shouldn't come here. And recognizing that saying things like we're going to create a path to citizenship actually creates an incentive for people to try to come across the border because they think they're going to get an amnesty, right? All, all, all this un- unpleasant realities Democrats don't want to acknowledge. And she's been, you know, enforcing. but then her whole approach is we're looking to the root causes. Let's assume that her negotiations with the Guatemalan government, the Nicaraguan government, El Salvador, Mexico, every part of, let's imagine every part of Central America buys in and says, you're right, Vice President Kamala Harris, you're absolutely right. We need to address these root causes. Greg, what's like the most reasonable expectation that addressing those root causes would start to stem the tide of migrants coming to the north? 18 months, two years, like... Yeah, that's not stopping them next month, right? right. You're not going to see, you know, immigration policy change on a dime and suddenly life in Central America becomes terrific. So her preferred solution in a problem that's getting worse month by month is to try to implement a plan that might get better in a year. (laughs) Right. It's probably going to take two years. There's no this is basically putting her out there to be the pinata every month. New immigration numbers come in and it looks bad. Because she's not in charge of doing it. She's just quick to emphasize she's not in charge of border enforcement. Well, the only short-term solution is border security and border enforcement. Right. All of this stuff about rebuilding the, the economy down in El Salvador, hey, great. Good luck to them for, on that. But that's not going to change in, a, you know, in, in the next six months. 
You're not going to suddenly have this flourishing of life in Central America on a dime. And it's he's he's put her out to dry. But hey, the last thing I'd want to see is infighting in the Biden administration. Right, Greg? Yeah, it'd be a shame if there was a political consequence for the future of Kamala Harris as a result of all this. That'd be that'd be terrible. Just terrible. It's almost like Biden remembers that first debate. Calling, calling him <laughs> well, we know Jill does. Uh, yeah. We heard that uh, that recently. Uh, she had some not uh, not ready for FCC language in, in response to that. But, uh, you know, allegedly once uh, they formed the ticket, all oh, bygones are bygones. Everything's fine. And we, we, of course, got that Kamala Harris appearance on the on the Colbert show where he asked her, you know, you said some pretty horrible things about Joe Biden. Did you mean it? And she's like, hey, what's a debate? <laughs> so, yeah. Good on Lester Holt, though, too. She's like, I've been to the border. I'll be at the border sometime later. He's like, you haven't been to the border. And she's like, what? I kept waiting for this. Who's this we? <laughs> exactly. She hasn't been, yeah. She hasn't been to Antarctica either. I'm not sure how either of those are relevant to the, to the crisis at hand, but whatever. Anyway, uh, more good news for you. Interest rates are still low right now with inflation that could change soon. So you want to take advantage of opportunities to refinance those student loans. And with uh, the economy still struggling to uh, recover from the pandemic, times are still tough for a lot of folks. And worrying about those student loan payments won't make things any easier. But that's where refinancing with Earnest could really help. Earnest offers low-rate student loan refinancing. You can check your rate risk-free in just two minutes. With Earnest, you get radically flexible payments, and you can pick your loan term. By refinancing, you can reduce your loan term, save money, or combine multiple loans into a simple monthly payment. And if you have questions, you can even talk to a real live human being at Earnest for help. Now, isn't it time you stopped feeling overwhelmed by your student debt? Absolutely right. And again, you know, interest rates have been super low for a long time. And so we've kind of gotten conditioned to them. We think they're going to be there for the foreseeable future. Might not be the case, especially with all the, uh, like I said, the inflation that's already existing, but now uh, still pushing for trillions and trillions more in spending. So those uh, rates might not be there forever. So if you're thinking about refinancing, uh, this might be the time to jump on that. But right now, Ernest is offering our listeners a $100 bonus. Refinance your student loans at earnest.com slash martini. Remember that terms and conditions do apply, though. Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you visit earnest.com slash martini to refinance your student loan. It's not available in all states. And again, terms and conditions apply. All right, Jim, let's get to our third and final good martini. June 22nd is primary day in New York City. That's when this extraordinarily crowded Democratic uh, primary field will get whittled down to a nominee. Um, Andrew Yang is uh, in this contest. We've got Eric Adams, who is apparently leading right now. Catherine Garcia. Those seem to be the big three. Uh, But right now it's a result of a poll that have us encouraged in New York City, even though they're probably likely to pick a mayor we don't like this year. But according to the Free Beacon, a large majority of likely voters in New York City's Democratic mayoral primary want more cops on the street. This is according to a recent NY1 Ipsos poll. 72% of likely voters polled in May agreed with the statement the NYPD should put more officers on the street. And 46% said crime or violence is the main problem facing the Big Apple, which was far and away uh, the number one concern among voters. So, Jim, we've seen a, a wide fluctuation on this, of course. Uh, last summer, a lot of folks on the left, especially Bill de Blasio, were uh, talking about defunding the police. Some defunding actually took place. Uh, but crime rates are also on the rise. The New York City, not the city it was just a few years ago in terms of safety. 
people don't want to live like that. Eric Adams has taken a pretty tough line on this. I don't know how tough Yang has been. It's going to be a, a, a tough race. But uh, what do you make of the uh, the New York City voters not going with the uh, the liberal narrative once that reality smacks them in the face? Refund the police. <laughs> Refund the police. Um, Greg, I see this in the Democratic side, and maybe somewhere out there, there is a left-of-center version of the Three Martini Lunch podcast where they look at Republican primaries and see the same phenomenon of, because you, know, you, you have a group of Democrats competing for a, a nomination and it gets really heated and it gets really, it's tightly competitive. Nobody has any huge advantage over the other. So what happens is a big chunk of them, maybe not the entire field, but a big chunk of them are all competing to be the most leftward person, to basically go to, I think it was a Rush Limbaugh used to call, the erogenous zones of progressives, you know, and, and just, you know, do everything they could to just be the dream candidate of an AOC voter and to be the dream candidate of a Bernie Sanders voter. And, you know, whichever figure you think best represents the left flank of the Democratic Party. Uh, they just try to go as far as they possibly can because they. You know, there's a certain logic to it to say those folks are the ones who are most into politics. Those are the ones who are um, most likely to show up on primary day. They're the ones who are most likely to agree to become volunteers for your campaign. You know, if you can win over those folks, you really can, you know, mobilize a, a de facto army for this. I think Jay Caruso, who writes his own uh, morning newsletter, easily one of the top four or five newsletters out there. Uh, and he said, he had to see, talk about like, people talk about the base of the party, but it's not like half the party. It's like 15% are like really, really diehard. So when you think of the, that's of the party, not of the electorate as a whole, right? So like the, the base of the, the people of the, in the Democratic Party who are like, yes, we should eliminate the police, yeah, you know, who are really fired up about this are a sliver of a sliver of a sliver of who you need to win the, the city as a whole, even a heavily Democratic Party, because remember, you know, I mean, David Dinkins looked unstoppable up until the day he wasn't, right? Um, I'm not saying a Republican's going to win in, in, in New York City. I think it's now safe to say that you no longer have a functioning Republican Party in the city, but you do have a, you know, the, the wing of the Democratic Party that doesn't go along with the progressives is the de facto conservative, right? It's progressives and less progressives. And the progressives want to, if, you know, go full speed ahead on defunding the police and, and this idea of seeing the police as the enemy, seeing the police as the problem, instead of seeing the police as the solution to the problem, because if you know, people are understandably upset about police abuses, they also don't want to get rid of police and New York City is experiencing a worsening and worsening crime wave. And the idea of campaigning on the, you know, like we don't know how this is going to shake out, but I have a sneaking suspicion um, like here's it. The, the perception of Bill de Blasio should be kind of a good indicator to other Democrats. Hey, you can go way too far with this. And these polling numbers are further indication that what the activist base of the party wants and what the party as a whole wants are actually quite different. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, Jim, that was excellent analysis. However, at one point, about a minute and a half ago, you were talking about the diehard of the uh, Democratic base, and my mind started to wander. So I'm I'm sure all your points were excellent, but now I'm thinking about all the great points in, uh, in Die Hard 3. So uh, no offense to you, but uh, <laughs> it's a fantastic movie. So honestly, the, 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 all the candidates were asked for what their favorite New York movie was. Oh, yeah. And I, I, no one, I, so I don't think anyone mentioned that, and I think it's a strong contender. 
It should be. Absolutely. You, you, you go all around New York City in that movie, you know. And, <laughs> that's, uh, that's right. And, you know, actually, while you know, this is a good way. Is this already been a fun show? We should wrap up soon. But I'm just going to observe <laughs> the in-joke of Die Hard with a Vengeance is that there is no way a city contracting crew there to fix up a disaster site would all look like a whole bunch of tall Germanic men. <laughs> It just wouldn't happen in New York City. Like, that's the opening clue that the detective should say, something's wrong here. You know, you're not you're not supposed to look like a uh, a production of Cabaret. <laughs> you know, you're walking in uh, to, to clean up a disaster site. So. Yes. No, that's exactly right. But, yeah, you're right. You learn a lot of things in that movie. If you didn't already know them, you, you learn about the uh, significance of the Chester Arthur presidency. Uh, <laughs> you learn that it's not easy to get from Central Park down to Wall Street in a half an hour. Uh, there's a lot of brain teasers in there. And I know we've gotten way off course here, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, if so unlike us. <laughs> that's exactly right. So uh, I would go with Die Hard with a Vengeance as the best-based uh, uh, New York City movie. There are a lot of them, obviously, that were based in New York that are very, very good. I'm guessing nobody said Escape from New York. That probably wouldn't go over very well. <laughs> well, that's a documentary. Um, <laughs> let's point out Billy Joel's uh, I've Seen the Lights Go Out on Broadway, which took place in 2017. <laughs> it was actually about the de Blasio prep mayoral uh, Oh, man, that cannot end soon enough. But uh, anyway, Jim, seriously, no, excellent analysis. And it's good to see the uh, the New York City voters uh, realizing that it is kind of important to have police. It's good for it's good for uh, safety in your communities. And uh, we'll see if that is reflected at the polls. And if it is and a guy like Eric Adams, who has uh, taken the stronger uh, position against crime, actually is the nominee, whether he stays that way. Once he's the nominee, if he's the nominee. So uh, plenty to watch there. Anyway, have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. I mean, where else are they going to get great diehard commentary like this just on the fly? We appreciate your five-star ratings and your, your kind reviews. Don't forget you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast and find us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday and please join us Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.